Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The Pentagon is putting more than 8,000 troops on high alert for potential deployment over the tension between Russia and Ukraine. Meanwhile, the State Department is ordering the families of the embassy staff to leave Ukraine. Influential but censored health experts meet in Washington, D.C. to discuss some of the biggest pandemic issues. One of them warns universal vaccination policies could lead to a dangerous variant. A new report says the United Nations is providing cash debit cards to migrants heading to the U.S. NTD speaks with a senior national security fellow who went to southern Mexico. The New York City mayor unveils a comprehensive plan to combat shootings and get guns off the streets. This after two more NYPD officers were shot over the weekend, bringing the total to five officers shot just this month. And fire crews are battling yet another wildfire on the West Coast. It's burning along a coastal community where 400 people were evacuated. The Pentagon is putting 8,500 troops on high alert for potential deployment to deal with the situation in Ukraine. NATO is also sending more troops, warships and warplanes to Eastern Europe over the tensions. Here's the latest on the situation between Russia and Ukraine. The Pentagon said Monday that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has put up to 8,500 troops on heightened alert. They will be ready to deploy if NATO decides to activate its response force to deal with the situation between Russia and Ukraine. As of now, the decision has been made to put these units on higher alert and higher alert only. No decisions have been made to deploy any forces from the United States at this time. Uh, and I say heightened alert, in some cases, some of these forces were already on a, a heightened posture, readiness to deploy posture, and the secretary decided to make it even more. Uh, 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 shorten the tether even more. NATO said on Monday that it's placing extra forces on standby and sending more warships and warplanes to Eastern Europe. They will be stationed in Lithuania, Bulgaria, Romania and the Baltic Sea. The State Department also said they prefer diplomacy and dialogue with Russia. They've also heard, and they've heard this in our private, uh, private engagements, but also uh, very publicly as well, uh, that just as we are prepared for dialogue and diplomacy, uh, we are pursuing uh, defense and deterrence. On Sunday, the State Department ordered all family members of U.S. Embassy staff in Kyiv to leave Ukraine immediately. Embassy staff can also choose to leave voluntarily. The department also upgraded the travel warning for Ukraine to level four, do not travel. The State Department says that they are keeping U.S. citizens in Ukraine informed of safety and security developments. But they also note that in the case of a military conflict, the U.S. won't be able to evacuate Americans from Ukraine. That is why we have encouraged uh, private U.S. citizens uh, who may be in Ukraine uh, to plan accordingly, including by availing themselves uh, of commercial options should they choose to leave the country. Meanwhile, the U.K. and Australia have also begun withdrawing some embassy personnel from Ukraine. And Germany offered assistance to families of embassy staff and some civilians who want to leave. In Washington, D.C., influential, censored and alternative medical experts delved into some of the biggest and most debated issues about the COVID-19 pandemic. Many of their disappointments and worries are tied to the federal government's pandemic strategy, 
a strategy that one researcher says could bring about a powerful variant. NTD's Miguel Moreno has that story. This is a reality that's being ignored. Republican Senator Ron Johnson on Monday live-streamed a discussion of alternative and censored COVID-19 information. Children should never get these vaccines. Renowned doctors, scientists, and researchers such as Robert Malone and Dr. Peter McCullough challenge mainstream views about vaccines, natural immunity, and the federal government's pandemic strategy. Malone, a developer of vaccine mRNA technology, opposes COVID-19 vaccine mandates for several reasons. The data are clear. The vaccines are not protecting from infection, replication, and spread of Omicron. And the data are relatively clear and emerging that vaccination is enhancing the risk of infection, um, replication, disease, and spread of Omicron. In Scotland, the government reports that the unvaccinated have a lower case rate than people who received two doses or a booster shot. That was between January 1st and January 7th. Scotland uses Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca's vaccines. Malone says that, in his view, the vaccinate everyone eligible strategy, which the Biden administration champions, could lead to a strong virus variant. If we continue to pursue universal vaccination, the high probability is that what we will continue to see is the evolution of additional escape mutants that are increasingly infectious and may well become more pathogenic. Professor of Epidemiology Harvey Risch cast doubt on Malone's theory, saying that that's extremely unlikely to happen. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, known as the CDC, endorses the three U.S. vaccines, billing them as safe and effective. Doctors such as Pierre Corey emphasize early treatment for COVID patients. They use drugs like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. But Corey says the CDC has made his job difficult by warning physicians and pharmacists of using generic drugs to treat COVID. We have pharmacists across the land who are refusing, refusing to fill these because they've been manipulated and brainwashed into thinking that it that the FDA hasn't approved the use, as if that matters. Many others spoke at that five-hour-long discussion. Senator Johnson asked people watching the event to keep an open mind and that those highly qualified speakers have paid a significant price for going against the grain. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. In the heart of the nation over the weekend, thousands of Americans came out into the streets to protest against COVID-19 mandates with a march down the National Mall. Some doctors spoke about why, in their opinion, these mandates defy science. Others shared how the various mandates have uprooted their lives, which includes being fired from their jobs. NTD was there at this rally, and here's our Melina Weiskup with a look at the event. The rally gathered what appeared to be tens of thousands of Americans from Florida to New York to Colorado and many states in between. I've traveled over 300,000 miles, you know, talking to people all around the country in the heartland and the Midwest and urban cities and suburban cities. And I got to tell you, all Americans are saying we need to stand up against this tyranny. The rally was to oppose the mandates alone, but it was not an anti-vaccine march, as labeled by some. We spoke to many people, some vaccinated, some unvaccinated, and we quickly found out that this movement has no limit on political party, race, or background. 
funny you should ask, I'm a Democrat. So a lot of people think that this is a Republican or a right-wing argument. I'm one of the founders and my co-founders are Republicans. So absolutely bipartisan. It's irrelevant. This is a medical science issue and that's what it should have been from day one. I think it was deliberately politicized, unfortunately, to divide us. Patriots from all walks of life, not Republicans, not Democrats, not Libertarians, Americans. This is encouraging and I encourage everybody to really pay attention to what's really happening out there. Many protesters told us they feel the mask and vaccine mandates are nothing more than a power push. I think that there's a push to create a two-tier society where the compliant ones can go about their lives and the uncompliant have to stay at home and locked up. My God gave me freedom. It's, it, I have freedom in my existence. And so that's what this stood for, is that I'm not afraid of COVID. Some of those protesting have lost their jobs for choosing not to get the COVID vaccine. You'll see uh, there's a lot of firefighters that are here today that have been on leave without pay uh, for going on 90 plus days. There's a lot of others that have been submitted uh, documentation that they will be terminated if they don't get vaccinated. And this woman from New York also lost her job. She points out that the mandates and restrictions are not limited to just adults. Wow, so you're saying that people, when they try to get into a, a restaurant in New York City, if the child doesn't have a vaccination card, that they're getting kicked out? That is absolutely correct. The, the, the um, children, the parents, I was recently arrested and recently a nine-year-old was kicked out of the museum because she did not have proof of vaccination. That is correct. An attack on freedom is what they say they're standing up to. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. A new report says the United Nations is providing cash payments to migrants on their way to the U.S. border. The report also says the U.N. is providing assistance to those who failed their immigration interview to give them a better chance of approval the next time around. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. As billions of American tax dollars are spent funding the United Nations, the U.N. is giving out cash debit cards to U.S.-bound migrants, some receiving about $400 every two weeks. In other words, American taxpayers are helping to fund illegal immigration across the U.S. southern border. The cash cards are provided by U.N.-funded nonprofits in cities on the well-traveled routes from Latin America through New Mexico. The payments are supposed to help with housing, transport, and medical assistance. The United Nations says the payments are for migrants who are seeking asylum in Mexico. But Todd Benzman, the author of America's Covert Border War and a senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, or CIS, doesn't think that's the case. None of these migrants plan to stay in Mexico. Nobody came for the great Mexican dream. They came for the great American dream. And the proof in the pudding are cards like this that are, that are recoverable thousands of them in debris fields all along the Mexican and American side of the Rio Grande. These, if they get caught with these, are going to go against their asylum claims in the United States. Enrique Vidal, a coordinator for a human rights center in Mexico, says the most common mistake the migrants make during interviews is to say they are suffering economic hardship, which will not normally result in approval. In an interview with Benzman, Vidal went on to say that the United Nations pays psychologists to help migrants dig up repressed memories of torture, persecution, and human rights violations after they are denied asylum. 
But he says that after the migrants receive the U.N.-funded psychological help, they have about a 90 percent chance of success when seeking asylum the second time in southern Mexico. And after approval, most head straight to the U.S. border, where they cross illegally and claim asylum again. So all the training that they're getting is basically coaching what not to say. And, and I, they told me that the, you know, we have to de-emphasize the economic needs and emphasize the new memories of these persecutions. It's absurd. And the American taxpayers picking up the tab. Several Republican lawmakers are planning to introduce a bill to defund the United Nations over activities they regard as aiding and abetting illegal immigration. Jason Perry, NTD News. Attorneys general from Washington, D.C. and three states have filed a lawsuit against Google for allegedly collecting data from users without their permission. Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine said that Google is deceiving users and invading their privacy. The suit alleges that Google collects and profits from people's location data even after users opt out of sharing it. Texas, Indiana and Washington State are joining the lawsuit. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said Google is systematically lies to millions of consumers in order to stack billions of dollars into its coffers. And the future of college admissions standards takes the spotlight. The Supreme Court is now taking up lawsuits challenging race-conscious admissions policies in higher education. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Another blockbuster case. The Supreme Court on Monday agreed to hear a challenge to college admissions consideration of race. Right, it's about the future that we want for our children. Anti-affirmative action group Students for Fair Admissions filed the lawsuits. They charge that Harvard and the University of North Carolina discriminate against Asian American and white applicants in order to boost African American and Hispanic enrollment. In an age when things are becoming more and more racist, a, a strong Supreme Court ruling against Harvard will do a lot to help our elites stop fixating on race and start fixating on the things that really matter. Merit. The Harvard president, meanwhile, said on Monday race is only one factor among many and it's essential to having a diverse student body. But at the expense of admitting the most qualified candidate? Absolutely not. Lower courts previously rejected the challenges, citing decades of precedents that allow colleges to consider race in a narrowly tailored way to promote diversity. But Jack Zhao, whose group filed a similar complaint against Harvard, says considering race is not solving the root problem. They should not continue to use Asian American children as a scapegoat for their policy failures. Zhao says politicians should address the real cause behind the underperformance of black and Hispanic communities. If a black family living in Chicago Every day they worry about a gunshot, right? Worry about crime, worry about drug abuse. How can they have good academic performance, right? The suits will be the first major affirmative action case to come before the high court's 6-3 conservative majority. Arguments are expected to take place in the fall. Iris Tao, NTD News. New York City Mayor Eric Adams today unveiled his new plan to stop gun violence. It's called the Blueprint for Safety. 
This comes after two more NYPD officers were shot on Friday, making them the fourth and fifth officers to be shot this month. Here's more on the shooting and the mayor's plan. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is rolling out a comprehensive plan to reduce violent crimes involving guns. This is not just a plan for the future. It is a plan for right now. Gun violence is a public health crisis. There's no time to wait. We must act. Adams detailed the plan Monday in the wake of the killing of one NYPD officer and the shooting of another on Friday. The mayor said both immediate interventions and long-term prevention strategies will be employed. It will involve the NYPD, every city agency, our courts, and the successful anti-violence crisis management system. We're going to involve every community, every precinct, and our state and federal partners. New Yorkers will see and feel these changes quickly. We will ramp up enforcement, deploy more officers on the streets, and in the subways and get our courts at full capacity. Adams showed photos of the gun used to fatally shoot NYPD officer Jason Rivera and injure officer Wilbert Mora. The pair were ambushed during a domestic disturbance call Friday evening in Harlem. They were the fourth and fifth officers to be shot this month. Adams says he will launch anti-violence teams to the 30 most violent precincts to get more illegal guns off the streets within three weeks' time. Last year, over 6,000 guns were confiscated. Our officers are doing heroic work getting guns off the streets, but traffickers keep the guns coming. That must end. We must stop the flow of illegal guns in our city. The iron pipeline must be broken. He says the officers in the new anti-violence teams will be as identifiable as the NYPD and will wear body cameras. In addition, the mayor plans to increase employment opportunities for young people ages 16 to 24, with a focus on those in foster care. Another focus is on improving mental health services and expanding hospital capacity for the mentally ill. Finally, Adams called on Congress and the federal government to pass what he called common sense legislation involving guns such as mandatory background checks and further crackdown on ghost guns. The mayor said he will attend Officer Rivera's funeral service on Friday. Meanwhile, Officer Moore continues to cling for his life in NYU Langone Medical Center. As of Monday, he remains in grave condition. And not only gun crime, but transit crime is also rising in New York City. Two people this month have been pushed onto the subway tracks in front of oncoming trains. The latest incident happening on Sunday. Here are the details. Over the weekend, another New Yorker was shoved onto the subway tracks in front of an oncoming train. This is the second incident of its kind this month. The victim, a 61-year-old man, suffered minor injuries and was taken to New York Presbyterian Hospital for treatment. Police said the man was pushed while waiting for the train inside the Fulton Street subway station in Lower Manhattan at around 11.30 a.m. on Sunday. The suspect fled the station. Police are still searching for him. The A, C, D, and F trains in the area were heavily impacted by the incident. This comes just over a week after 40-year-old Michelle Goh died after she was pushed onto the subway tracks at a station in Times Square. The suspect who pushed her has been arrested. Police say the suspect has a record of mental health issues and is believed to be homeless. According to NYPD data released Monday, felony assaults in the New York City subway system rose around 28 percent in 2021 from 2020. 
In response to the rise, NYPD's new chief of transit is promising more uniformed train patrols to monitor the subway. Former Speaker of the New York State Assembly, Sheldon Silver, died in prison today at the age of 77. He was serving a six-and-a-half-year sentence for corruption. Silver, a Democrat, was imprisoned at Devon's Federal Medical Center in Massachusetts. The cause of his death is not yet revealed. Silver had been a member of the New York State Assembly for almost four decades, and he was one of the most powerful figures in the state's politics for two decades. He was arrested and convicted of federal corruption charges in 2015. Those charges were later tossed out in an appeals court. He was tried again in 2018. In his 2018 conviction, the court found that Silver used his position in government to benefit real estate developers. And the developers would in turn reward Silver by referring lucrative business to his law firm. He had received nearly $4 million in bribes. And coming up, fire crews are making progress on yet another wildfire. The flames are burning along the beautiful California coast and around an iconic bridge. An NBA Hall of Famer denied by his alma mater. His season tickets are suspended amid the battle over the school's mask mandate. And New York's Theodore Roosevelt statue was removed last week after guarding a museum entrance for more than 80 years. It came down due to con controversy over racial injustice. More in a moment here on NTD News. Firefighters are making progress on the massive California winter wildfire that is burning along a coastal community. NTD's David Lamb reports. The 700-acre Colorado fire started late Friday afternoon in Palo Colorado Canyon in Monterey County. It caused evacuations and partial closure of the coastal highway in California's Big Sur over the weekend. About 400 people in the county were evacuated from 1,100 structures According to the American Red Cross, an evacuation center was opened at a local middle school on Friday. The fire surrounds the iconic Bixby Bridge. The bridge is located off of Highway 1 and is a popular photography spot. According to CAL FIRE, firefighters continue to strengthen control lines and mop up hot spots, but winds are creating challenges for the fire crews. The Colorado fire is now 35% contained, the cause of the fire is under investigation. David Lamb, Entity News, California. And this week, the Theodore Roosevelt statue that was removed from New York City's Museum of Natural History is making its way to a new home in North Dakota. That's after the statue came under fire for its depiction of black and indigenous people. NTD's Chenny Wu spoke with a historian to get his take. A towering statue of President Theodore Roosevelt disappeared overnight last Wednesday from outside New York City's American Museum of Natural History. The statue, which has guarded the museum entrance for more than 80 years, depicted Roosevelt on a horse, while a Native American man and an African man at his side are on foot. Because of this, critics say it depicts colonialism and racism. However, David Randall from the National Association of Scholars says this is an incorrect interpretation of the statue. This is their reading, uh, as, how, how should I put this, a reading based upon nothing in history. That is, we know very detailedly what was intended by the sculptor. These are 
statues of you're representing Africa and North America. It's iconography. And instead of a portrayal of racial inequality, it is meant to indicate um, Roosevelt's deep interest in exploration in the natural world. Roosevelt's views on race have come under scrutiny in recent years, but some historians consider the 26th president's perspective on racial inequality to be progressive for his time, when segregation was law. For example, he was the first president to invite an African-American to dinner at the White House. He did not need to invite Booker T. Washington in particular to eat with him. He could have met him in the White House. He didn't need to sit down and dine with him. He had no political gain to be made for that. In fact, only political loss. Uh, he did it because it was the decent, the human thing to do. Many other American monuments, such as those of Christopher Columbus and Thomas Jefferson, have been relocated over the past few months. Randall says these incidents are causing the younger generation to have a misinterpretation of these historical figures. It is our responsibility to make sure that we continue to educate our children to love all of the great heritage of America, even when significant parts of the, our political elites have abandoned that love. The museum first requested the statue's removal in June 2020, after the killing of George Floyd and the protests that followed. The Roosevelt statue will now be on long-term loan to the Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library in North Dakota. The library is set to open in 2026. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Gonzaga University has suspended John Stockton's basketball season tickets. This comes after the Hall of Fame point guard refused to comply with the school's mask mandate. Stockton confirmed the move in an interview Saturday with the Spokesman Review. The former NBA player said he believed the university took the action against him because he's a public figure whose non-compliance would attract attention. He starred at Gonzaga from 1980 to 1984 before going on to the NBA. During the interview, Stockton, who is still the NBA's all-time leader in assists and steals, cited reports that over 100 professional athletes have died after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Last June, Stockton participated in a documentary entitled COVID and the Vaccine, Truth, Lies and Misconceptions Revealed. And the NFL had one of their most exciting playoff weekends ever, with three games decided on last-second field goals. Meanwhile, the fourth game, the Chiefs-Bills thriller, is quickly being mentioned as one of the greatest ever. NTD's Dave Martin has more. The NFL couldn't have scripted a more exciting playoff weekend, yet it ended with plenty of question marks going forward. The Bengals' Cinderella run continues as Cincinnati advances despite Joe Burrow being sacked nine times by Tennessee's defense. In Green Bay, the 49ers special teams essentially won the game with a blocked field goal attempt, a blocked return for their only touchdown, and their game-winning field goal. Finally, in Tampa Bay, the Rams were blowing out the defending champion Buccaneers only to fumble away their lead before recovering at the end. Tampa Bay's loss brings up the same question as Green Bay's exit. Who will be their quarterback next season? Tom Brady has talked about playing until he's 45. He's 44 now. But this past season was one of his best as he led the league in passing yards and touchdowns. Yet he's defied father time longer than almost anyone else. 
For the 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers, he had another All-Pro season, yet his discontent with the Packers has been tempered recently. The three-time MVP has said how much he's enjoyed this season, but ultimately only he knows which way he's leaning. Finally, in Kansas City, the Chiefs' thrilling win was not without controversy at the end. Despite all the great back-and-forth plays at the end, the coin toss sadly ended up being one of the most important plays of the game, something that should never happen in the playoffs. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. Coming up, a new bill is being proposed in California that would remove the personal belief exemption from the state's COVID-19 vaccine requirement for students. And a pet piglet was found wandering the streets in one Californian city without its owner. Police officers are trying to unite him with his family. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. California, Senator Richard Pan announced a bill to remove the personal belief exemption from the student COVID-19 vaccine mandate that the governor announced last fall. The bill has already stirred up some opposition online. NTD's Jason Blair brings us more. California Senator Richard Pan announced on Monday that he is proposing a new bill to require all K-12 students in California to be vaccinated for COVID-19 in order to attend school in person. Vaccination is the cornerstone of ensuring our schools will be open. California already has a law that mandates the COVID-19 vaccine for students as the vaccine gets FDA approval for each age group. The bill that Pan is introducing will remove the personal belief exemption from the mandate. And that's simply to ensure every medically eligible student attending school in person is vaccinated. This would virtually require all students to get the vaccine unless they have a medical condition that prevents it. This is the same requirement for 10 other vaccines in the state. California State Assembly member James Gallagher tweeted in response to the bill, I am absolutely going to oppose removing COVID vaccine exemptions for school children. This is wrong and an unconscionable overreach into the family over a virus that poses very minimal threat to young children. The bill, if passed, is proposed to start January 1st, 2023. Jason Blair, NTD News, California. A group of Northern California doctors are calling to end COVID-19 restrictions. They say the strict policies are harming professional and personal lives and that children need normalcy in schools again. In an open letter to Governor Gavin Newsom and other state officials, doctors from University of California, San Francisco and Alameda County are urging them to end school restrictions. They called on officials to acknowledge the endemic nature of COVID-19 after the Omicron surge and immediately shift our public dialogue toward defining a path for removing all remaining COVID-19 restrictions in public schools. The Children's Health Defense California chapter voiced their support too. For adults and heads of household that take care of children and families, it's been absolutely devastating. And it's also been particularly devastating on children. There's a study showing that there's a 22-point IQ loss in young children right now. And that's significant. If the average IQ is 100, which it is, that means that children would essentially become mentally retarded. The doctors say the policies are negatively affecting professional and personal lives without clear benefit nor any end in sight. 
In addition, present policies have driven thousands of people from this state and from our public schools. And we will continue to lose many great minds, great businesses, great families, and great individuals if current policy is not righted. We have very low rates of COVID in California, very low rates of hospitalization, a very high vaccination rate. And so at some point you just have to say, is this working or is it not working? Among the 17 reasons they are asking them to do are to acknowledge that most people are vaccinated, there is an educational crisis, and children and teens are suffering from the ongoing mental health crisis from isolation. They're asking to make masks optional while indoors starting February 24th and make cost-benefit analysis for all COVID restrictive policies to ensure that benefit always outweighs harm. Last week, Governor Gavin Newsom said it's critical to keep reopening schools a top priority. The petition on change.org has over 9,000 signatures as of Monday. And authorities in California are trying to reunite a pet piglet with his family. Officers found the piglet, affectionately called Bacon, wandering the streets last Thursday. So far, they haven't heard from the owner. The Pleasanton Police Department calls for the public's help on their Facebook and Twitter pages. The posts include hashtag bringbaconhome. In the meantime, the adorable piglet is being cared for at a local animal shelter. And he appears to be quite popular with the officers. So if you know who Bacon's rightful owner is, be sure to contact the East County Animal Shelter. And coming up, the Australian Prime Minister is shut out of his account on the popular Chinese social media WeChat. It's sparking outcry among his supporters, and some claim it's political interference from Beijing. And in Germany, an 18-year-old student opened fire at a university, killing one and injuring three others before killing himself. We've got the details in just a moment here on NTD News. Australia is accusing Chinese messaging app WeChat of taking down Prime Minister Scott Morrison's account and redirecting his followers to a site that offers information for Chinese Australians. NTD's Chenny Wu has the story. Ahead of a national election in Australia, the country's leader appears to be running into some unexpected troubles. He's been shut out of his social media account on the Chinese-owned service WeChat. That's according to Australia's Prime Minister Scott Morrison on Monday. He registered the account in 2019 and used it to communicate with Chinese Australians. Morrison's supporters say removing his access to his WeChat account deprives the Prime Minister of an important avenue to communicate with the Chinese community in Australia. More than 1.2 million people. WeChat is one of the most widely used social messaging apps in China. It's also popular elsewhere, especially among the Chinese diaspora. But since last July, WeChat has denied Morrison access to his account. The incident prompted a senior Australian lawmaker to accuse Beijing of political interference. How did it happen? A few months ago, a Chinese company named Fuzhou 985 Technology purchased a WeChat account because the account had a large fan base in Australia. Little did the company know, however, that that account belonged to Australia's Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. That's what an employee at the company told Reuters. The person did not reveal how much the company paid for the account, which was rebranded in January as Australian Chinese New Life. However, Morrison's earlier posts have not been removed from the account. 
Instead, the new owner told the account's 76,000 followers that all business and functions of Morrison's account have been transferred to Australian Chinese New Life. Morrison's agency had previously complained about the account to Tencent, the owner of WeChat, requesting its return. But sources told Reuters Tencent never responded. On Monday, Tencent told the outlet, this appears to be a dispute over account ownership, adding it would be handled in accordance with the platform's rules. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says Russia is planning a lightning raid on Ukraine as British embassy staff and their families withdraw from Kiev. He warns that an invasion of Ukraine would be disastrous for Russia as it could become a new Chechnya. The UK is not considering sending any combat troops to Ukraine, but it is providing weapons and is planning sanctions against Russia. This report comes from NTD's Eddie Aitken. The Prime Minister says Russian forces gathering on the border with Ukraine are planning a lightning raid. The intelligence is very clear that there are 60 Russian battle groups, about 60 Russian battle groups on the borders of, of Ukraine. Uh, the plan for a lightning war that could take out Kiev is one that everybody uh, can see. Boris Johnson warned President Putin that invading Ukraine would be painful, violent, bloody and a disastrous step. I think it's very important that people in Russia understand that this could be a new Chechnya. I've been to, to Ukraine several times. I've, I've, I, I know uh, the people of that country uh, a bit. And my judgment is that they will fight. The PM says the invasion is not inevitable, but the UK has to take necessary steps. But the UK is in the lead in creating that package of economic sanctions, uh, stiffening the, uh, the, the helping to stiffen the resistance of, uh, uh, of our Ukrainian friends, uh, as you know, with defensive weaponry that we're supplying, uh, making it clear that we stand fully foursquare uh, with the people of Ukraine. Some British embassy staff and their dependents are being pulled out of Kiev after the U.S. ordered the families of all American personnel at the U.S. Embassy to leave the country. The Foreign Office confirmed the move, saying the British Embassy remains open and will continue to carry out essential work. The EU, for now, does not plan to withdraw diplomats' families from Ukraine. I don't think we have to dramatize as far as the negotiations are going on, and they are going on. I don't think uh, that we have to let Ukraine and, and leave. Ukraine's ambassador to the UK told Sky News that Ukraine thinks Putin will invade as the president annexed Crimea by force a few years ago. The issue is how much he would bring up with. Is it full-scale invasion, or it is, as was mentioned, discussed many, many times, smaller things just, you know, to annoy us and the rest of the world, to show his strength and believe that we will back, back down. Ukrainian foreign ministry said that the U.S. step to move their diplomats' families out of Kiev is premature and a manifestation of excessive caution. Downing Street said British troops would not be used to defend Ukraine. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. A lone gunman opened fire in a lecture hall at a U German university earlier today. He fatally wounded another student and injured three others before shooting himself dead. German authorities have identified the shooter as an 18-year-old biology student who had no previous criminal record in the country. The attack occurred around midday at the University of Hildeburg in southwestern Germany.
Police said that when they found the gunman's body, there were still over 100 rounds of ammunition in his backpack. Officials said it wasn't clear why he had stopped shooting, but they were confident he had been acting alone. Investigations revealed that the attacker had bought two guns abroad, but didn't have a gun license. Police aren't revealing which country the guns were purchased in, because that could hurt the investigation. According to a state prosecutor, authorities have already searched the home of the gunman, but it was still too early to establish a motive for the attack. And starting today, it will be almost impossible to live a normal life in France if you're not vaccinated. But the law implementing the mandate is still debated among French citizens. According to an attorney, this might bury the rule of law in France. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the story. From today, French citizens will have to show a vaccine pass to enter public places like bars and restaurants. It will also be mandatory to get into hospital or to work in some professions. The new pass is part of President Emmanuel Macron's drive to make life difficult enough for the small minority of unvaccinated people so that they are compelled to get COVID shots. This mandate also means people have to keep up with the number of vaccine shots if they don't want to be counted as unvaccinated. According to lawyer Mark Gauthier, who worked with senators while a bill was pending to be implemented by the lower parliament house, this is a very disputed rule. If you go on like this for years, because I think it's far from being over, this is a major threat to the peace of the society. There are already a lot of divisions and tensions on the vaccine mandates amidst families, couples, and how to look after children. Even if the vaccine pass is implemented by France's government, it will contravene other laws. According to Gaudi, there are a variety of international treaties and laws saying people should not be discriminated and forced to take any treatment, such as the vaccine. In the case of EU laws or any international treaty ratified by France's government, it means that in France the judges have to apply these rules before any other law. But for now there are no cases of judges ruling according to these treaties and laws. There is a hierarchy in the law's execution by the judges, and we don't have it anymore. So we don't have the rule of law for now. Moreover, according to Gaudi, France's government is fitting in with the strict definition of a totalitarian regime, as written in low texts. Criteria of what is a totalitarian regime are as follows. A government's decision is above all rules. The human rights aren't respected anymore. The ruling of every facet of social and cultural life in society. This is it. As we can't even go to theater if we don't obey the rules. There is the media's propaganda, or what we know as one-track thinking. This is it, when they broadcast all day long, that people need to get the vaccine. There is also the censorship of media. Even the ideological education of youth is affected, Gaudi says. If you look at the school textbooks from sixth grade to the high schools, there are sections mentioning why lockdowns keep people safe, even though we still have no real proof of this. The council upheld the government's rule that anyone over 16 be required to show a vaccine pass, as well as a requirement for bar and restaurant managers to check a person's identification alongside the pass to curb the use of fakes or certificates belonging to a third party. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. And going to Belgium, tens of thousands of people protested in the capital on Sunday against COVID passports and other restrictions. One protester said Belgium's COVID pass endangers elderly people. Later, some protesters clashed with police who fired water cannons and tear gas to disperse them. 
This report comes from NTD's Joy Duguid. Over 50,000 people marched in Brussels on Sunday to protest COVID restrictions. Many were denouncing the Belgian COVID pass, which is required to access bars, cinemas and other venues. One protester said the pass gives elderly people a false sense of security and thus endangers them. Safe. I work with uh, elderly people and um, they say, oh, I'm going to go to that event because it's safe, because there's a COVID safe ticket. And then they are sick. The next week they are sick from COVID. The Belgian Prime Minister announced on Friday that people will soon need booster shots after five months to keep passes, although they would still be valid with a test or recent recovery from infection. The five-month limit is among the tightest in Europe, with the EU-wide guide for travel within the bloc set at nine months. Another protester accused authorities of blackmailing the youth with the vaccine. I was very angry that my children had, had to have the vaccine and they just took it because of their freedom. Yeah? They, they want to travel, they want to do a sport competition uh, and they can't do it without a vaccine. But they didn't want to, but it's just blackmail. One protester dressed up with a sign saying, we are the tip of the iceberg. The protests followed demonstrations in other European cities on Saturday against COVID measures. At the end of the march, there were violent confrontations between some black-clad protesters and police. With a building housing the EU's diplomatic service broken into. Riot police fired tear gas and water cannons to disperse protesters. Authorities said they arrested more than 60 people. Joy Duguid, NTD News. And good news for travellers headed to England. You won't need to take a COVID test to enter the country anymore. That is, if you're fully vaccinated. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson made the announcement today. Two doses of a COVID vaccine are considered fully vaccinated in the United Kingdom. A booster is not required. And just ahead, the ruins of an underwater Roman city draw tens of thousands of visitors each year. The ancient city used to be a playground for Roman senators and emperors. That's before it sank in the fourth century. Mediterranean Sea, just a few miles from the Italian city of Naples, is an ancient Roman city submerged under the waves. It's now the world's largest underwater museum, and tourists visit the site year-round. Let's take a look. In the days of the Roman Empire, the town of Baia was a playground for senators, wealthy Roman citizens, and emperors. Julius Caesar, Cicero, Hadrian, Augustus, Mark Anthony, and countless others all visited Baia where they kept villas and palaces. Baia was a place where people had fun, ancient Roman style. We're talking thermal tourism and also eco-gastronomic tourism, as we call it, because there were products of excellence from this area, both at sea and on land. 
the great wines of Campania, or the farming of mollusks, oysters, fish from Lake Reno. But towards the end of the Roman Empire in the late 4th century, the land began to sink below sea level due to volcanic activity. Changes beneath the Earth's surface led to a periodic lowering or raising of the ground level. The drawback mentioned in ancient sources was that Baia was often referred to as a place of ruin where people came for excellent and noble reasons, such as thermotherapies. But then they carried out practices much less related to those activities and more related to personal enjoyment. The ruins of Baia were discovered by chance in 1969. Further excavations took place in the 1980s, but no excavations have been carried out since then and a large portion of the ancient city still remains undiscovered. 400 meters of remains stretch from the current coastline. Therefore, many settlements, many houses, many baths are still to be discovered and are only minimally known. Columns, new floors, new mosaics are constantly emerging during the research that the park is conducting, and in particular, next spring, we will begin excavating one of these places. The underwater park has become one of the main attractions of the archaeological park in the region. About 15,000 people come to visit every year through snorkeling, diving, or aboard boats. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.